When setting up an in-person interview with someone, it's not uncommon these days to send each other a picture of yourself so that it's easier to find the right person in a coffee shop or wherever. When I asked Les McEwen for one, he emailed a picture of himself with a big grin and a beer bottle halfway to his mouth. That was the first sign that Les has a sense of humor and an independence that evidently guides him. He lives about an hour south of Winnipeg where he farms. For years he raised hogs, but now he's growing grain. He's chairman of the Deerwood Soil and Water Management Association, which works with farmers and researchers in his area to find innovations and better ways to grow food. He's also a director of the Lake Winnipeg Foundation, a lobby group that advocates for lake health. McEwen has as deep roots in research as he does in practice. He also has some interesting ideas on ways that agriculture can thrive, but also reduce its impact on the land and the water. One of the key points he makes is that we've so radically changed the prairie landscape that it's hardly surprising that Lake Winnipeg is under pressure. This is another full interview I'm posting as part of the Lake Winnipeg series. Let me know what stands out for you and what Les has to say, so that together we can co-create the larger story about how the lake got into trouble and how we're going to fix it. See the show notes for more details. Thanks for listening to the Dispatches podcast. I'm Bramwell Ryan. My name is Les McEwen. I'm chairman of the Deerwood Soil and Water Management Association. And for the last two years, I've taken on a position as a director with Lake Winnipeg Foundation. I farm. I used to be uh, in uh, grain and hogs, and uh, for the last 10 years I've been strictly grain farming. It's obvious that uh, Lake Winnipeg has been having issues with nutrient loadings, particularly phosphate. Like a lot of other people, I've been involved with researching where those loadings are coming from and why, and seeing if we can't do something to mitigate them. As a farmer and chair of a farm group, uh, of course, a lot of my focus has been on agricultural watersheds, uh, the Tobacco Creek in particular. Uh, one of our pet projects is the Tobacco Creek model watershed. And for the last six years, we've been doing a water analysis on the Tobacco Creek itself as a uh, potential nutrient uh, contributor to the lake. And uh, before that, we were involved with what was called the South Tobacco Creek Project which was looking specifically at the contributions of different farm practices and evaluating best management practices for Agriculture Canada. If agriculture is causing a problem, we want to know what it is and we want to look at ways of mitigating it, changing agricultural practices. Let's talk about the total nutrients going into Lake Winnipeg. We know that roughly 18% of that gets attributed to agriculture, 18%. Now, that includes agriculture and the background contributions from the area that they occupy. Because agriculture occupies a very large area in southern Manitoba, there's going to be natural contributions get lumped in with that. So off the top, agriculture and the area it occupies, 18%. Out of that, we know that hog production at its peak was less than 3%. So you could totally eliminate hog production in this province, and you've still got 97% of the problem you have today. 
So number one, targeting hog production, it's not gonna make a significant difference. And in fact, 10 years ago when I got out, there was a thousand producers just like me, most of them independents, that got out of, the, out of hog production for a number of reasons. One was the increased regulation. Another was the change in uh, who controlled the hog market. Uh, we lost single death selling at that time. Once it became a co corporately controlled structure, the chances of making good money out of it as an independent producer just literally disappeared overnight. So getting out of it, for me, wasn't a case that I was losing money at it. I was actually still making money. The problem was I was running out of people I could work with because if you were off contract, suddenly you didn't have uh, all the feed mills in southern Manitoba, like three of them around me disappeared. The transfers that used to move our pigs to market all started shutting down and going broke. There just wasn't enough guys left to keep that infrastructure in place. And that's something people don't understand was the laws, the financial losses at a rural Manitoba. When those thousand people left hog production. It was significant, but nobody wants to talk about that. What did we gain at the lake? Thousand guys got out. What did we gain? Nothing. What we eliminated was small producers under 400 animal units from winter spreading, but they were scattered all over our watershed. What we're replacing them with is large contract barns. Where are the large contract barns going? Well, they're going places where you can situate lagoons that can also be emptied, basically all within a thousand yards of the watershed. So instead of having small operations scattered all over the area, you have very large operations suddenly parked right beside the creek. Now sure, they're going to supposedly better management systems, they're knifing it all in, they're incorporating it, but it's closer to the water. So what we've gained by shutting down a thousand operations is not even measurable at Lake Winnipeg. I guess it's the whole idea that agriculture is this major contributor to the pollution problem and doesn't care. Because we live in the watershed. We work with that water. We're using that water every year to grow crops, raise animals, whatever. If there was something going wrong, seriously wrong with that water, we'd be the first to know. We wouldn't have to wait for a government scientist to tell us. We'd know. We'd feel the impact. So to think that agriculture somehow can just ignore the problem and go on their own and farm however, uh, it's, it's just wrong, flat out wrong. For instance, we had a neighbor that was directly upstream of us that was just a horrible polluter. Who's the first guy that's gonna complain? The farmer downstream. It's not gonna be wait until he gets to Winnipeg or Lake Winnipeg or anywhere else. These are watersheds where we're starting at the top of the escarpment. They're small streams, very small streams, often going dry. So if somebody's doing something to negatively impact the next person downstream, that's gonna be the first place we feel it. What we're finding is that edge of field measurements for most of these things are actually fairly low relative to what's going on in the streams. 
So with escarpment streams all coming down into the Red River Valley, a lot of those contributions are actually stream bank erosion. Where agriculture has played a part in that more so than, like everybody assumes that all this fertilizer, all these herbicides are coming off all these acres directly into the water, and that's not what we're finding, that's not the case. Where agriculture's contribution has been more so than that has been in speeding up the amount of runoff coming out. And so we've got to look at ways to slow that water movement down. Like over the years, we've on farm, we've bulldozed bush, we've drained old beaver dams, swamps, on farm drains. Once you get off the farm, there's also been municipal drains, highway drains, railroad drains. All these things have contributed to a faster moving waterway, which loses the filtration process in that water. Like large areas of the Red River Valley were at one time swampland. Well, that's all been drained in its farmland. Over 90% of the wetlands in the River, Red River Valley have already been drained. So significant portions. So you lose that ability to filter the water on the way into the Red River. And I think that's really the role that uh, we as an advanced society have played more so than worrying about how much fertilizer is applied or how many herbicides are applied. When you get to Lake Winnipeg, it's not just a question of total loadings, it's the ratio of phosphate to nitrogen that contributes to the blue algae blooms. So the higher the phosphate is relative to the nitrogen, the worse the blue algae blooms are gonna be. So if we find that the best management practices we've been implementing for the last 20 years, minimum till, zero till, uh, field shelter belts, all these things, if they were better at blocking nitrogen movement than phosphate movement, then we may actually have been making the problem worse. What we gotta look at is ways of specifically blocking that phosphate movement keep that ratio of phosphate to nitrogen down. And unfortunately, very few of the BMPs we've been using are doing that. One of the more successful ones that we've worked with has been small on-farm dams. So we're basically replacing the role of the beaver dam with constructed wetlands. What we need to do is put that phosphate back into food production whether that's food for animals or humans, get it back out of that waterway in some place where we can manage it, put it into something else. Problem is, it's not commercial fertilizer. It's in the form of dirty water. So you take like the potato growers in the province, they irrigate out of those rivers and lakes every day. But, no, well, not every day, every season. But nobody's looking at the nutrient value of that water because it's so low it doesn't even enter into what they need for the potatoes from a nutrient point of view. So yes, it has value, but it's probably worth more to a producer as irrigation than it is as nutrient. There's two ways phosphate will get to the lake, either attached to clay particles or dissolved in the water. So if we can block that sediment movement, and stop it from moving down with small dams, you're gonna have a significant amount of that phosphate is gonna be tied up in those ponds and sediment movement. So it's not just a case of it getting there today or tomorrow. It's 
can we block it for a significant period of time? There's just miles and miles and miles, sections and sections of land with a barn on each quarter. It's all contract barns, built by Maple Leaf when the plant was supposed to go in Winnipeg. It was a cheap area to get into. They said all we had to do was hay that production and they were gonna harvest all that phosphate. It's an area that's not gonna get hayed. It's swampland, it's rocks. It never was a good idea. That depends on whether we've learned anything or not. The southeast corner went into a place that due to thousands of years of flooding is already a phosphate hotspot. Now we're gonna dump more on it. Probably was not a good move. We're in a place where we can't easily harvest those nutrients back. Not another good move. They're very, very concentrated. Probably not another good move. So if we go into Western Manitoba, there's acres and acres there that need phosphate. There's acres and acres there that we can spread it over. There's areas we can spread it that's viable cropland that's gonna utilize it that doesn't need to leach the way it does down there. It's not gonna be as wet an area as down there. So yeah, there, there's all kinds of ways that we're gonna improve on that, I hope. What's going on at Lake Winnipeg right now is gonna be more event-driven. If we get a year with a lot of water flow, a lot of rainfall, big snow melt, you're gonna have another flush of nutrients going into the lake. If we have a year with very little, as we saw last year, you're gonna have very few nutrients getting to the lake. But sooner or later, those loads, once they're in the waterways, are gonna get there. Question of when. We gotta quit pointing fingers at who's doing what. We know who the contributors are to Lake Winnipeg. We know that 60% of those nutrients come from south of the border. But if you look at efforts going on south of the border, I would hesitate to say they aren't doing more than we are. I know if you talk to people on the Red River Basin Commission, there's been significant water retention projects going on south of the border in the Red River system. But uh, where are they in Manitoba? You know, aside from what the conservation districts are doing and groups like ours are doing, I really don't see a lot of water retention going on. Everybody makes a contribution. Everybody has to put in. I think in terms of agriculture, I can see areas where we could be increasing the amount of water we hold back. We could be doing more to hold the soil on, on the land, not let it get into the waterway. But the cities have to do their due diligence as well. Like even municipal contributions, we supposedly treat lagoons. Well, treating lagoons means we basically go in there and put in additives to kill the pathogens. We poison the pathogens is basically what we do. We're not doing anything for nutrient mitigation. And there is ways we could be doing that. There's passive filter systems. There's all sorts of different things we could be looking at that we're not, because the acceptable way is to dump it in the creek. Why does the city of Winnipeg keep getting away with this when, you know, a thousand hog farmers were put out of business? And 
One of the reasons the city of Winnipeg keeps getting away with this is because they're not taking their drinking water out of that system. They're not as worried about it. They don't have to be as worried about it because they're getting their drinking water from somewhere else. If you look at the other cities on the system, they've had to keep up to date. They've had to keep cleaning up. Why? Because there's somebody downstream that's going to complain if they don't. City of Winnipeg basically has used Lake Winnipeg as a, a lagoon. There's just no polite way of putting it. They've used that as their lagoon and it's catching up to us. You know, back in the 70s, everybody said, well, the solution to pollution is dilution. That only worked until you polluted the largest available water source. And that's where we are today. We're messing up the largest available water source. So sooner or later, they're gonna have to deal with it. And the longer we put it off, the more expensive it's gonna get. It's not gonna be cheaper to fix it in 2030 which is when I understand they're going to be asking for the next deadline, than it was, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's going to keep getting more expensive. And people think that they can keep delaying it. Well, we can't. We've already gone past that critical point where we can just keep diluting it with Lake Winnipeg. We can't do that anymore.